Hello dear listener, welcome to the Crime Design Podcast, hosted by Shoma Dasadi Kari. This show narrates famous homicides, both fictional and non-fictional, often serial killings, with their psychic analysis. Now, over to your host. Welcome, my dear listener, I hope you are doing fine. As always, I am good too. Before starting with this episode, I want to assure that you have listened to the previous episode. If not, please do so. Also, for bonus content, do not forget to visit my website, that is mentioned in the show's description. So today, we are going to analyze, Charles Whitman's mental state, or the psyche. Remember? We talked about a suicide note that Charles wrote. The note is a very important element to analyze Whitman's crime. Now, my dear listener, I am going to quote some lines from his suicide note. I don't really understand myself these days. I am supposed to be an average reasonable and intelligent young man. However, lately, I have been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. I talked to a doctor once, and tried to convey to him my fears that I felt overwhelming impulses. Since then I have been fighting my mental turmoil alone, to no avail. Whitman continued talking about her wife. I don't want her to have to face the embarrassment my actions would surely cause her. I truly do not consider this world worth living in, and am prepared to die and I do not want to leave her to suffer alone in it. Similar reasons provoked me to take my mother's life. In addition to his wife and mother, Whitman killed 14 people in cold blood and, wounded 31 others that day. Most of the casualties occurred in the first 20 minutes. Before the shooting, US police had no policies in place for responding, to an attack by what is known today as an active shooter, and the event led to an overhaul of police procedures. Special weapons and tactics or SWAT teams were formed nationwide, and these have swooped into action in the many similar atrocities that have taken place in the decades since 1966. So Whitman, was the reason, why SWAT was created. Now, my dear listener, we need to move our attention to Charles Whitman's autopsy. This autopsy was not a normal autopsy, because, Whitman himself, requested something in his suicide note, and, I quote him, After my death, I wish that an autopsy would be performed on me, to see if there is any visible physical disorder. By physical disorder, my dear listener, he meant neurological disorder. Although the initial autopsy was inconclusive, about the role of the tumor in the shooting, a follow-up investigation, by a group of scientists under a commission requested by Governor John Connolly, showed it could have played a part in the events of that day. I quote a line from that report. The highly malignant brain tumor, conceivably, could have, contributed to his inability to control his emotions and, actions. Dear listener, the tumor compressed the amygdala, located deep in the brain's medial temporal lobe, that play a key role in the processing of emotions. Michael Koenigs, an expert on brain lesions, said that the position of Whitman's tumor, pressing against the amygdala, 
definitely had the potential to affect his mental state. The amygdala, regulates responses such as fear and aggression. It is unlikely that a tumor initiated some type of psychotic rage. But it could have tweaked his personality to be a bit more aggressive or a bit less empathetic, Koenigs said. It could certainly affect his emotional state, and it could certainly affect his body's physiological responses to threat and healthy emotional responses related to aggression. Other scientists, like N. Bradley Keel, an associate professor at Baylor College of Medicine, takes a more skeptical point of view. Keel, who studies the amygdala, said that although the location of the tumor could have affected Whitman's behavior, it is unlikely that it was the sole reason for his actions or even an important contributing factor. Gary Laverne, author of the book A Sniper in the Tower, which is a really good book on this massacre, shared his skeptical views on Whitman, and I quote, For 48 hours, Whitman made serial decisions, in the correct order, leading to the accomplishment of a goal. To me his actions speak for themselves. If indeed a tumor or anything else, took control of him and made him do something he didn't want to do. When did this seizure of sorts start? Laverne hypothesized that Whitman's violence was largely due to discontent with his situation and resentment towards his family, and after further research, said he even doubts the existence of the tumor. David Eagleman, a scientist who studies the intersection between neuroscience and law, presented his views and I quote, what does it mean when somebody's brain changes? This really challenges us to think about criminality in a different way, because you don't choose your genetics. You don't choose your childhood experiences, your family of origin, your neighborhood. You don't choose any of this stuff. And yet this is the stuff, your genetics plus your experiences, makes you who you are. My dear listener, this brings us to a point where things become more confusing, and raises few questions. Does a tumor in the brain of a killer means he is not guilty? Does this tumor in Whitman's brain, if at all, change his public's perception of him? Can our society, ever, forgive this man for what he did, on account of his tumor? Dear listener, I hope you will definitely think over these questions. I think, it's necessary, for the law agencies, to redefine, and continuously update, the interaction of a killer's biology and his crimes. So with this, my dear listener, I leave you now, and as they say in the land of radio, stay tuned.